0: You're listening to Fresh Ideas for Teaching. Hi, everyone. This is Walter. The Fresh Ideas for Teaching podcast is presented by Savas Learning Company. Thank you for joining us for another Keep in Science Real podcast. I'm here with my colleague, Leon Eikhoff-Gentry, K8 Science Marketing Manager at Savas Learning. Leon, who is our guest today?
1: Walter, today we have Dr. Jesse Wilcox from the University of Northern Iowa, Uh, Dr. Wilcox is an assistant professor in biology and science education, as well as a former high school general science and biology teacher. Uh, Jesse has won numerous awards, by the way, has presented nearly 200 times at at science and STEM education conferences, uh, and has has published 45 plus articles in science and STEM education journals. Dr. Wilcox, I am so happy you could join us here today. Uh, I have to ask, may I call you Jesse?
0: Yeah, absolutely. You can call me Jesse, and I'm I'm glad to be here too.
1: I, I know you and I have visited a couple of times before, and I actually have seen you present at some workshops, at some diff- different conferences. You bring so much energy and excitement to your audiences Honestly, it makes me want to step back into the classroom and and give it another go myself. Um, From our previous conversations, though, uh, I'm gathering that this is really what your passion is, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I am very passionate about teachers staying motivated. Teaching is a difficult job, and it's just such a privilege to work with students and teach them about the natural world. Um, So, yeah, anything I can do to help teachers is something I'm really passionate about. I just completed a study with some colleagues and we were investigating why effective science teachers persist. And we learned that um, them having autonomy and being able to make decisions and having the space to do that is really what's crucial to helping them move forward. And another crucial finding is that uh, they need to feel supported in their work. So I just feel like any support or resources that I can provide to that important work is worth it and the kids deserve our best. So yeah, I'm very passionate about it.
1: And you know, uh, I, I, you saying supported teachers feeling supported. We've heard a lot about that in the news lately, right? That w- the in the teacher industry we have a lot of turnover right now because teachers are not feeling supported. So this really, I think, is very timely for our our listeners to hear today that. There are some different things and different people out there that are there to support them, such as you. As we say, thank you for your service in that fashion.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, teachers, 50% of them of science leave in the first five years. And so uh, this might even be worse now since the pandemic. And so anything we can do to support them and make them feel valued because it's such a valuable profession.
1: You know, I have found uh, too uh, that if we can make science fun and interesting in the classroom for stu- students, yes, but more so if we can make it fun and interesting for teachers to teach, sometimes that is just enough to keep us motivated, right? I found that if we incorporate maybe some interesting science stories, that uh, that can actually be a treasure in the classroom uh, to keep them motivated. So I know you probably have one in your back pocket, but do you have any interesting science stories you can share?
0: Yeah, yeah, I have a story I could share. So um, in in the mid-1950s, there were two researchers that were studying carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere. And one of them was David Keeling, and he was measuring carbon dioxide levels in various areas of the U.S. in like the spring of 1955. And he really loved being outside and so he was collecting samples and he was also camping with his newborn son, which I, I don't know how you do that, but he did. And his and his wife. Um, and so they were camping at Yosemite in 1955. And he it's the middle of the night and he hears this noise outside his tent. And uh, he said he was rummaging around. He grabbed a flashlight and he like shined the flashlight outside. And you see these two big eyes staring back at him. And it was a mule deer. And it had his research <laughs> notebook in its mouth with all of his data in it. Oh, my gosh. So Keeling is running through the woods at night, chasing this deer in the dark, <laughs> looking for this <laughs> notebook with these pages. And he ended up finding it. And the pages had uh, teeth marks in them oh my uh, from the deer. And so, you know, these things that happen in science that just are, you know, you don't you don't think that these things would happen. But what's interesting about Keeling's research, the, the research that he published from this uh, mule-bitten <laughs> work It helped us understand carbon dioxide levels during the day, they Uh increase and at night they decrease. And that's because of photosynthesis. And they also increase carbon dioxide levels increase in the um, wintertime and decrease in the summertime also due to photosynthesis. So that sort of rates of photosynthesis um, was things that he figured out. And of course, his data uh, were some of the first to show that humans were adding carbon dioxide to the atmosphere. And, and causing climate change, so you know these stories I think where you can humanize it are really really quite crucial, but they end up being important science ideas in their own right,
1: oh, you know, and I'm you know when you talk about uh the mule deer suddenly appearing at his tent, those speedy little yeah. eyes looking at him, that's a story in itself, like you can go the science of the fear factor, right, what, you <laughs> right. Know, cause that fear um and then I'm sure there's a science behind having that newborn baby inside that tent with him. Um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, I, that gives the, that's that story itself brings a lot of questions to mind for me, you know, as living in, in, uh, the Texas region myself, uh, you know, hunting is such a, a big deal, uh, during deer. we're in deer season now. Um, and you know, the, the deer start coming out more at night and I wonder if that, Rise and fall of carbon dioxide, like you were mentioning, also has uh, uh, effect in the environment in terms of animals and their you know bring coming in and out, uh, you know, showing their face. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm
0: I'm sure you know like as we're seeing right now with the leaves changing. At least we are here in Iowa. It's beautiful outside right now, and so we're seeing some different absorption of photosynthesis and that that has an effect on the animals right they're sensing the seasons changing as well and their food source is changing so i'm sure i'm sure there's definitely a relationship between those
1: yeah so you know so that in alone in itself you know i can see you know i can see that this starts those questions now how can i take this story and use it to help students learn how to learn does that make yeah, sense yeah
0: yeah It does, yeah. I I think when students can connect with people behind the science, it humanizes what they're learning. So with effective questions, teachers can help students understand that scientists are creative and collaborative and curious and driven, which are some of the same things we want our students to be like so that they learn well. So engaging students, I think, in a lot of inquiry activities uh, that can require them to engage in those same types of behavior that scientists do when they study the natural world is important. But of course, the real trick is, and this is what we're finding from research, that we have to explicitly ask questions if we want them to make connections between what scientists are doing and what they're doing in, in the class in terms of learning. So for example, science often takes time, you know, it takes a long time to develop these ideas and, and deep learning takes time. Right. Um, and sometimes kids think it should happen quick, but it, but deep learning takes effort, it takes time. So asking students questions like, why do you think deep learning takes time, and why do you think it's important to keep trying even if it gets hard sometimes? I can help them better understand the process and and kind of help them persist um, when things get tough. I mean, science is obviously a lot of fun sometimes, but you know, as as deep learning uh, requires, it takes time for everyone.
1: You know, uh, the two things that come to mind for me are what are the what are the what ifs and yeah. the why's in science, you know, that really can drive a lot of learning. Um, that's kind of what I took from what you said, you know, formulating those questions, those ideas. Um, so with that in mind, so we're, we're taking these stories, how might you stru- structure an interesting story, a science story, into a learning opportunity? Like, maybe give us an example. What is one of your favorites and how did you use it in the classroom?
0: Sure. Yeah. Well, I'll start with an inquiry experience and then I'll, I'll tell you how we kind of embed some stories within it. Okay. So one activity I really enjoy using is uh, using M&Ms to teach about natural selection. So I start by giving students piles of M&Ms and they count out how much color they have, colors of each they have when we go outside. And then I line them up And I tell them that I've had to complete a bunch of work and do assignments and they've had to, you know, they've had to work in class a little bit. Right. And it's their chance to get payback at me. So they then throw the M&Ms at me. And of course, I'm a ways away. Right. So so they don't hit me too much. Um, But once they throw the M&Ms, I tell them that they're the predators and the M&Ms are the prey. And they go and they pick them up. It's like an Easter egg hunt. It feels like. So
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's pretty awesome.
0: No, these. (laughs) <laughs> High school kids pick it up; stuff they love it. Um, and once we go back inside, we analyze the M and M's that we connect that we collected. And students quickly notice that there are just so many fewer brown M and M's than some of the other colors that are brighter. And so we start. That of course sets us up to start talking about natural selection uh-huh. and why they may be seeing fewer brown ones. It's harder to see, right? It's harder for them as right. predators to see when it's close to the soil. So we try and connect this to some stories. I show them um try it to the real world as well I often show a video of a rock pocket mouse afterwards and in the video there's a lava flow and it's hardened into dark colored rock and the landscape all around it is like a sandy colored desert so the mice that live on the lava flow have dark fur and the mice that live on the sandy desert have lighter fur and just like the M&M activity the pre the predators are what's putting that selection pressure on them because if they can see them they eat them so they have to have the right fur to match the right background in order to survive so that happens in in the uh, southwest U.S. I think yeah. it's, I think it's in Mexico. It's not too far from from yeah. Texas. Yeah. Um, and so finally, then bringing in the history of nature of science is something I try and do, too. And there's a story about Charles Darwin and Alfred Russell Wallace. Um, and many people are familiar with Charles Darwin, but fewer are familiar with Alfred Russel Wallace. He independently came up with ideas of natural selection, and they even had their papers presented and published at the same time. But since Darwin was more highly regarded and had many more details to his ideas, he's often given credit. So we try and explore wow. like, where do these ideas come from, too. So it's it's a matter of doing inquiry activities. I usually start with that and then helping them connect it to the real world and connect it to stories and behind the science. So trying to link all three of those things together is something I try and do.
1: You know, uh, I'm envisioning the, the shower of M&M's. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. in the classroom or even outside. And, um, you know, you can also, you know, look at this from a behavior standpoint, like animal behavior, uh, in terms of the fight or flight, you know, who's rushing yeah. to get all the green, who's rushing and why, you know, so that's, there's a lot you could focus. On. you're right. There's a lot there, different directions you can go just with a bag of M&Ms. I mean,
0: yep sure. Yeah. It's simple things. And goodness, they, that's one of their favorite activities. Typically when I ask them at the end of the year, what they liked, you know, throwing them M&Ms at their teacher ranks up there.
1: <laughs> so um, after they pick them up, are they eating these M&Ms?
0: No, but you do have to, I mean, of course you have to be careful with allergies too, but yeah, you know, sure. I, I often, I always buy extra so that they so they don't have to eat the ones that are off the ground. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh that that's good. And you know I I have to say uh back in just a short story on on my experience with using food for an activity I was doing a a, a workshop for teachers uh, right before lunch which never bring food right before lunch because everyone's hungry right? So I was using uh fruit loops I believe it was if I recall correctly we were going to make um uh, uh a rabicus uh, uh, you know uh, the yeah. you name know, is yeah. Yeah. Uh, out of them. And so I had them in bowls sitting on the table and it got to that time for us to do the activity and no one had any Fruit Loops left. They all ate the Fruit Loops. <laughs> <laughs> so I was wondering, have you ever run into that with this activity where your students eat all the M&Ms before you actually get to the M&M activity?
0: <laughs> well, luckily afterwards, no one's interested in eating them. So that, that's not a problem I have. But beforehand, yeah, we usually count them out so that they, they have to have a certain amount and then they can eat the extras. So okay. so luckily we start with that, that they, that they know how many they need to begin with. <laughs>
1: so, so note to all of the listeners out there, if you plan to use the M&M activity, uh, make sure you have a plan A and a plan B put in place in case the activity resources disappear. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, <laughs> (laughs) Consumable.
1: (laughs) Well, uh, Jesse, we're about midway through um, the first semester this year uh, for many of these teachers. And um, I, you know, as you mentioned earlier, you know, uh, many teachers feel unsupported right now. So I'm really, I would really love it if you could maybe share maybe some parting words um, to help them close out the end of this first semester as we start moving into another one.
0: Sure. Oh, wow. Um, I guess I would encourage teachers to keep learning, keep tinkering with their lessons and make small, consistent changes to improve their practice. You know, teachers, especially during a school year, don't have a lot of the time. So the small changes they can make are important. And I think, you know, improving a lab or trying something new or crafting better questions, these little changes can, can make an additive effect, right? And it results in deep learning of their students. Um, and so related to science stories, I think during the summertime, reading books or looking up resources can really help kind of um, bring the science to life and, and tell the story behind the science. And there's scholars such as Douglas Alchin from the University of Minnesota or Michael Cluff from Texas A&M and have a lot of great resources. So I would also encourage teachers just to you know keep learning themselves and keep, keep thinking about these little stories um, uh, as they read and as they think about how to make their science come alive for their students.
1: I appreciate that. Thank you so much, Dr. Wilcox. And uh we are out of time for today. Thank you again so much for joining us. Uh, you've really given us some things to think about and and inspired us to keep moving forward. As I mentioned, I now want to step back in the classroom and try that MM activity. <laughs> really, truly, your your passion for education is is contagious. Thank you.
0: Well, thanks, Leon. I really enjoyed chatting with you.
1: Thank you. Uh, Walter, I hand it back to you.
0: Many thanks to both Leon Eikhoff-Gentry and Dr. Jesse Wilcox for joining us today. This Keep in Science Real podcast series is presented by Savvis Learning Company, a next-generation learning company providing award-winning solutions for grades pre-K through 12. Visit Savvis.com today to request pre-K through 12 curriculum samples for your school or district. And you can keep the conversation going by following us on social media at Savvis Learning with hashtag Moving learning forward.